It is Thursday. Feels like a third. Kind of feels like a Friday. Not going to lie. I'm not going to get Brendan going. It is the Thursday edition. We had the Father's Day theme on Wednesday because we had Justin Tatum on the show. Hope you enjoyed that conversation about coaching professional basketball down in Australia. And we also had Jameson Williams' dad on the show. Very entertaining guy. Was up in Detroit, still recovering from that Lions disappointment in the NFC Championship game. So that was the theme accidentally on Wednesday. Today we'll call it Homegrown St. Louis Broadcasters. Joey Vitale, St. Louis guy, played in the NHL, now part of the Blues broadcast team, went to CBC. And then my guy Tyler Foljam, who works for ESPN, he's from St. Louis, went to Mizzou. He did TV in Quincy, Illinois, worked in Columbia for a while, Mizzou guy who got to cover the Tigers. Then he was in Chicago. And its stadium, which I believe is still around, and maybe a little bit ahead of the curve in terms of, well, what channel is that? Well, it's online. What do you mean? it's on? Well, that's kind of where things are headed, where you can just click and get the content you want. He worked for there, worked there for a number of years, and he's been with ESPN for about three and a half years. Out of Vegas, it's ESPN Bet Live. That's the show. It's all about gambling. And I thought, you know what? The Super Bowl is in Las Vegas. What could go wrong? But it's Vegas, it's the Super Bowl, maybe the biggest gambling week other than March Madness. So Tyler Foljam talking about the matchup, some of the crazy prop bets. You got all this Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey stuff. So homegrown talent, Foljam and Vitale coming your way on this show, which is fun to talk about gambling and Super Bowl. We need something to talk about because the Blues are off for a week and a half, and Joey will kind of give us a uh, midseason report card. But there's not much else to talk about. City SC is in training. Basketball is in the tank. Collectively, Mizzou and SLU are 1-15 in in conference games. Isn't that unbelievable? You kind of get through the non-conference slate. You play all these lesser opponents for the most part. And all you care about is when your favorite team starts playing their big rivals. Get into conference play. 1-15 between SLU and Mizzou. Tigers lost last night. You heard it here on KTR's loss to Arkansas. So Mizzou now 0-8, and, and this this thing is just skidding out of control. I think that's, that's being fair. So good thing we can talk about the Super Bowl, which is still over a week away. Chiefs and 49ers, looking forward to that. And one of my, my themes that I feel like nationally has not been picked up on is the 49ers franchise, which is a – marquee franchise, hugely successful. They haven't won a Super Bowl since the 94 season, going back to Steve Young. You know, they got there with Jim Harbaugh and the Harbaugh against John and Jim Harbaugh. That that was, what, 11, 12 years ago. They have not won a Super Bowl, and yet we always focus on Jerry Jones and the Cowboys' futility, which goes back to the 95 season. And Jerry garners all the attention and makes it all about the Cowboys. Isn't it kind of crazy that the 49ers are below the – like nobody mentions, hey, when are they going to win another Super Bowl? They were a total dynasty. So love the matchup. We'll be talking more about that next week, maybe some Chiefs coverage out of Las Vegas. And I have a suggested listen. If you like Larry David or if you like Bill Simmons or if you like both, and I don't follow all of the Bill Simmons podcast stuff. There's a lot out there. He's obviously hugely successful. We know that. But he had Larry David on his show, and Cousin John sent me the audio. So I started listening. It's as entertaining as you would assume because it's Larry David. But my favorite part, and I did tweet this out, 
He was talking about SoFi Stadium. Larry David, you know, co-creator of Seinfeld, Curb Your Enthusiasm. I guess if I'm telling you who he is, you have, then the point would be lost. If you know who he is, you get it. You like him. He's quirky, funny, but loves sports and said he had gone to SoFi Stadium. And he said, I hated it. I'm never going back. And I just started laughing. It's so damn loud. Guy screaming the whole time. Whose house? Whose house? Which is the Rams thing. Whose house? Our house. Of all the slogans and mantras that don't fit, you could do that in Green Bay. You could do that in Pittsburgh or Minnesota, all these other places, everywhere. But the Rams' house is largely filled with the opponent's fans. So of all the things to grab hold of, whose house? But Larry David was mocking it, and I'll never go back, which he's probably not their target audience, but he's older. But I thought it was pretty entertaining. I did get a kick out of that. So Brendan and I will tell some Larry David stories maybe later like we did with Norm MacDonald. Got off on a tangent the other and uh, Brendan back from soccer training earlier in the day. We'll get an update on that. We'll come back, though, with Joy Vitale talking blues hockey. A little later, Tyler Foljam from Vegas. We're going to talk hockey here. Blues are at the All-Star break. Joy Vitale, blues analyst, part of the uh, broadcast team with Chris Kerber over on 101. And in his sixth year with your St. Louis Blues, Joey, big plans this week. you got all those kids running around. Let me guess, you're coaching hockey, possibly making bread. But buddy, that is literally my whole schedule today. Yeah, that I made ten loaves this morning, five for my kids' school over there at St. Peter. I gave the other four to my dad's doctors down in Sightman. And I just been baking bread, coaching hockey, changing diapers and just doing that dad thing, Martin. Yeah, I'm not going anywhere for all star break. Never again. How is it I've never had a loaf or even a slice of the Vitaly bread? Well, you got to show up to work every now and then, Martin, and, and get to the rink. Okay. i got to put on my work boots and show up. You know what? You Hold on. Not, not only did you replace Chaser in the booth, this you're now taking on the Chaser theme because every time I'd come to the rink, it's like, did you need directions? Good to see you, Dan. Do you know we still play down here? Chaser would always bust my, you know what, because if I didn't come around often well, enough. but that, that that is that is hockey culture, yeah. you know, and – you know, and, and, and Martin, there's a there's some deep, deep psychological explanation for that, and, and just very quickly. But the banter, the locker room banter. You know, the, I, I used to pour concrete in the summers. There's construction banter. You know, it, in, in reality, it is it is super important. And people will be like, "Well, how is that important?" Picking on each other, not necessarily picking on each other. It's just a friendly banter. When what you're trying to figure out is, you know. Can this guy hang with us? You know, can he can he withstand some adversity? And what they do is, when especially a young player comes into the league, and I remember this, Matt Cook was all over me all the time. Pascal Latouille was all over me, all poking hair, poking in front of my suit. Uh, you wear cuffs in your pants. No one wears cuffs in your pants. It's the constant, right? And and I, I'm giving it to you. People give it to everyone because you know those players <laughs> at the time, uh, they're, they're kind of testing those young players out. They're kind of seeing. You know, can he hang in? Because the reality is this. One day down the road, you're going to be in a game, and it's going to be tight, and adversity is going to strike the whole team, and they're going to want to know, is is this guy going to have our back? I mean, that's that's what the whole thing is in the Army and the Navy throughout boot camp and, you know, the Navy SEALs. It's it's We're going to test them early because when we're in a foxhole, and four years from now, we got to make sure this guy bails me out. So 
although friendly banter, there is there is something major behind all of it. So you hang in there, March, and I'm going to keep giving it to you for, for justifiable reasons. So it sounds like if I eventually pass the test, I'll get a damn crumb from Vitaly's bread. All right, hey, I was down there the other night, and you almost saw this coming. Blues are red hot. All-star break is around the corner. Ololi, or lesser opponent from the standings, is in town, Columbus. And the effort was just – that was the most boring game, blues-wise, I've seen in a long time. Do you, and I know Coach Bannister wasn't happy about it. I think it's just human nature when you're up against a break that you just – it's just collectively a little lethargic. Well, you know, I'm not going to sit there and excuse because, you know, the reality is that Columbus was up against their – up on their break, too. You know, everyone – Everyone's dealing with the same effects. You know, you hear sometimes, ah, oh, the ice was bad. Well, both both teams are playing on the ice. You know, well, it was before an all-star break. Ah, both teams are coming off an all-star break. Or it's the first game of the season. It's everyone's first game of the season, right? So as much as it can be a factor, you can't you can't use it as a factor, unfortunately. Uh, it was just a dutter of a game. You know, I think I said on the broadcast, broadcast with Kerber, you know, the game kind of reminds me of my, my kid's favorite bedtime book, Goodnight Moon. I just felt like we were just wooing ourselves to sleep. <laughs> watching it and you know the one challenging thing i will say about about games like that is that you know when you're playing against the rangers on home ice when you have the boston bruins you're hosting them when you go to colorado right those those games vegas golden knights you know what's expected you know how to get up for those games and you know as a player you have to be darn near perfect and you have to be razor sharp and razor focused and razor razor intense from the get-go, and you've got to keep it that way for 60 minutes to just give yourself a chance. So it's really the mindset of, like, we better do this or we're, we're done. Now, in a game like Columbus, it's wishy-washy. Your, your mind can wander. You can say, you know, do I need my A game? No. We could probably win with our C game. And for the Blues right now, Martin, they could probably win with their D game with the goaltending they're getting. So that's where, you know, this has been a long time coming, I think. I wouldn't sit, sit, sit here and say they've been playing terrific hockey over that Western Canadian Seattle swing. I think justifiably they probably should have won one, maybe two games on that road trip, and they squeeze out three, even though they were outshot, out-attempted, out-chanced pretty much in every single game. They're getting goaltending. So that Columbus game was just another example of the Blues just playing a little bit subpar, but they unfortunately just did not get the run support. And, and that's kind of the way it uh, way, way it all panned out there for them. Who do you think they are at this point? They obviously struggle out of the gate. They lose the coach. New guy comes in. There's a little bit of a bump, then the lull, now a little bit of a hot streak before the break. I mean, are they a team that should be contending for a playoff spot? I mean, that's kind of where they are now, knocking on the door a little bit. Are, are they capable of more, I guess is my question. You know, it, it's an interesting question. You know, I think that the biggest thing to consider, the biggest thing to keep in perspective is that I know a lot of fans can be frustrated and, and people can be frustrated about what, what, what is this team? Even I'm up at the broadcast booth getting ready for a game, like I have no idea what we're about to watch and you just don't know. But the perspective to keep in mind is that the biggest body, the biggest chunk of the, of the, the league is in the same scenario. Like the, Colorado Avalanches are dynamic and awesome every single night. They're an exception. The Chicago Blackhawks, they're bad every night. That's an exception. Most teams fall into this mid-ground of we don't know what the heck we are because let's look at the National Predators. They went on a run. Now they've slowed pace. Seattle went on a nine-game run. Then they lost four. So it's like every team is kind of going through its ups and downs. So that's the first thing to keep in mind. I think the second thing to keep in mind is, you know, with this team specifically, are they a playoff team? That, that's the question. Um are they a playoff 
team? Are they built for playoffs? Yes, I think they are built to get into the playoffs. Are they built to win a Stanley Cup? I don't know about that. Like, we don't know about that. I, I, I think that some pieces massively need to be added to consider that. But the question is, can they get into the playoffs? Absolutely, they can get into the playoffs. And this is a team, I believe, that is going to make that push for the playoffs because they have something that just not a lot of teams have. And, and you see it, Martin, it's, it's pretty wide out there and call a spade a spade, but this goaltending tandem is pretty dynamic. And Jordan Bennington can steal a series. That, that to me, right now, the way he's playing, that's just a fact. So to answer your question, where does this team go? I think they can get in. I think Bennington can certainly steal a series, maybe even make it to round two. I think that's probably um, setting the bar as, as high as it'll go. But also, on the flip side, how, where is this team going? Well, that's going to be a lot directed upon Doug Armstrong. You know, I, does Doug Armstrong already have his mind kind of set about what this team is? Has he already figured out that this is a, a team that can contend for a cup, so we need to make changes like we made last year? I think if he does decide to go down that route, we're going to know something pretty quickly. Much like last year, he was one of the first GMs to jump on it. You know, before you know it, Tarasenko was gone, then it was O'Reilly, then it was Noah Charlie and Mikola and Barbashev came a little bit later, but this is a GM that doesn't waste a lot of time. So is his mind already made up? Possibly. And uh, we'll find out here in a couple weeks. Joey Vitale, Blues broadcaster with us here on the Killcoin Conversation. Tell me about Drew Bannister, what you knew when he arrived. I think most of us were like, who? Who's this guy? And then, okay, coach the minor league level. A lot of these younger players know him. How about for you? What have you seen? What have you observed from him? You know, I didn't know a ton about him when he came in. We had a couple of training camps together. We you know, shook hands maybe conversed very little, so I didn't have any expectations. I will say he's got a very, very great presence about him. You know, one thing he does, he comes into the press conference area. You know, if you came to the rink more often, Martin, you, uh, you oh, certainly know. He, he, he now, where is that there. again? Now, where is it? <laughs> it's in the bottles there, about four doors down from the lock. I, Are you guys, near, you guys near that baseball ballpark I'm always at? You, anywhere near that Cardinal thing? Yeah, you know, when the Blues make the cup again, um, when I see it down at the rink, I'll kind of direct you and show you where it's at. Thank you. But um, hold on a second. Hi. Oh, Sorry, the kids. The kid. How many kids do you have? Five. Five. Okay. Got five little ones. They're on the way to get the other three. My wife, she's she's trucking along. Three down forwards, there two defensemen. There you go. Or a basketball team. I'm not sure. Oh. But uh, yeah, they're they're trucking there now. Anyway, what I'll say was that. You know, he's got a great presence. He walks in the, the media room, and he always says good morning to everyone. He always thanks everyone. Just really, really cool the way he, you know, I think he humanizes what a coach should be. You know, I think he's just got a really good demeanor about himself. He always seems so poised. I think his approach on the bench is very different than Baruby's. Baruby was a, a rah-rah guy. He was a, you know, fire up, let's go guy. And, you know, for those type of coaches, we see this a lot. For the first few seasons, they kind of get a lot of those guys. After about third or fourth year, like, uh, starting to wear a little bit. And by the fifth, sixth year, you're like, gosh, I'm really proud of getting yelled at, right? And luckily for Berube, you know, he won a Stanley Cup, so he had a lot more weight behind him. But coaches that are the rah-rah and they're the aggressive type, you know, Dean Evanson loses his job in Minnesota, for example. If they're not having a lot of success, players tend to kind of mute those guys out. And, you know, Bannister's come in. He's had a quiet approach on the bench. Just kind of stands there stoically, crosses his arms. He gives a lot of responsibility off to Steve Ott and I think, you know, Mike Weber, which I think is a really great thing. And he lets the players kind of play. Um, some players are really benefiting from it. A lot of the younger players certainly are. I think that's one of the why the great move of Doug Armstrong was to bring him in. You see a Matthew Kessel take off. You see a Jordan Cairo turn his game around. 
I think that there's a lot of great young players that are starting to really find a good groove underneath them. And, you know, right now he's done a, he's done a very good job. Listen, that, that month of January was, that was a doozy of a schedule for the Blues. I mean, Colorado, Dallas, Las Vegas, we saw Pittsburgh, then it was the Rangers, Boston, and Philly. It was just like an onslaught before you go up to Seattle and Calgary and Vancouver. And this coach not only keeping his head above water, but a pretty nice little record throughout this month of January. So is he going to be the permanent head coach one day? I don't know that. But I think if, to be real, if we know Doug Armstrong and his history, remember Chief wasn't even the head coach until after he won the Stanley Cup. So I can't imagine anything happening soon, if you know what I mean. Right. They like to leave that interim tag on, even if you're in the middle of a Stanley Cup run. All right, final thought, Robert Thomas, All-Star Weekend. Where is he in terms of NHL stardom, and what's next? What's the next level for him to get to? Well, you know, you look at this team as like a rebuild, retool, whatever you want to call it. Uh, it's a transition year. It is. You know, what can the Blues fans be excited about? What is one of the biggest bright spots to me, personally, on this retool? It's been that guy. It's been Robert Thomas. I think that it's his sixth season. I think you see this a lot with players. Nathan McKinnon's a perfect example. It wasn't until Nathan McKinnon's fifth year where he really took off. People often forget that. His first four years, they were like the 40 to 50 point ranges. Very similar numbers to what Robert Thomas had. Very similar. Now, again, they're not similar players now. I think Nathan McKinnon is a little bit more explosive than Robert Thomas. But can he kind of close that gap? I think he can. And in his sixth season, he has arrived. He's not the number one center on the team because they have no one else. He's the number one center in the National Hockey League. You put him on any team, and he would be there. His passing his leadership, his skating ability. He's logging a ton of minutes. Uh, he's just become a great number one 200-foot sentiment across the league. And I think that this, to me, is one of the biggest bright spots of the St. Louis future. I think he's going to be the captain one day, whenever that day is. But you see his presence off the ice. You've seen him grow from a boy to a man. And he is just as elite as elite comes right now. He doesn't have many weak spots in his game. So it's really exciting for him to return to Toronto and, of course, be part of his first All-Star game. And uh, looking forward to having him come back. But he is a 100-point guy in the league someday. Uh, I don't think maybe this year, but maybe the next couple of years we do see him crack that 100-point threshold if he gets some good scoring around him because he is he is one of the best right now in the Central Division. You can hear him on the Blues broadcast on 101 with Chris Kerber. Also see him on Badly Sportsman West. A lot of pre- and post-game work. Joey Vitale, part of the Blues broadcast team. He's got kids. He's got bread. He's got to go. Joey, thanks for hopping on. Hey, Mark, anything for a good CBC boy like yourself. You have a great day and uh, enjoy the All-Star game. We'll talk to you soon. Love talking hockey with Joy Vitale. Just surprising how he's become so connected to the Blues organization. You know, didn't play for the Blues. They kind of plucked him out of nowhere to get that broadcasting gig. First season in the booth, they win the Stanley Cup. And uh, I'd say he's been a hit with fans, but also has become a mainstay in terms of Blues coverage. Uh, around town. We're going to talk to Tyler Fulgen when we come back out of ESPN Las Vegas gambling and the Super Bowl. What a great combination next week with Vegas hosting Super Bowl 58. want to tell you about Illinois Recovery Center. They're located in Swansea, Illinois, just across the river from St. Louis. This is where you can get the help you need or somebody in your family needs. Maybe it's a friend, a neighbor, a colleague talking about addiction. And right now the opioid crisis is just crippling our whole country. You've heard about it, seen it on the news, and if you need some hope, need some help, you can get it at Illinois Recovery Center. Professional staff, many of them have their own story of recovery, variety of evidence-based treatment programs. We're talking about therapy, group, individual, medical-assisted therapy, 
different types of programs, residential as well as outpatient. So when we're dealing with addiction, you need to get to the root of that addiction. You can do it at a safe, inclusive environment. They went in and gutted the entire campus. There are several buildings, all brand new on the inside. They went in and made it look perfect so that you can have peace of mind when trying to regain your life. Embrace sobriety. Swansea, Illinois, again, not far, right next to Belleville, Swansea, Illinois, just across the bridge in Illinois, it's IllinoisRecoveryCenter.com to find out more information about this great organization, great people doing important work, safe, inclusive environment. It's IllinoisRecoveryCenter.com. And right now we're going to talk a little gambling, a little football. Oh, by the way, Vegas is hosting the Super Bowl. This is too perfect. And on the line with us, Tyler Fulgham, St. Louis native who works for ESPN, hosting ESPN Bet Live. You can see it most afternoons, also on ESPN2, Bet Live, and what a great gig talking gambling and living in Vegas. We had him on a while back, kind of telling his story, how he ended up there. But I would think right now, Tyler, the the eve of next week, it's going to be insane, won't it, with Vegas hosting a Super Bowl? Yeah, I mean, Vegas is blowing up right now. You see it um, with F1 coming there, the Sphere. I don't know if you've had a chance to see the social media videos of the YouTube performance at the Sphere. It looks absolutely bonkers. And now the ultimate, you know, cultural American event, the Super Bowl, the big game, is in Las Vegas, which is incredible, Martin, to think if you just go back 10, 15 years and how allergic the NFL was to gambling. And now they're putting their premier event in the heart of gaming and uh, gambling in Las Vegas, Nevada. It is unbelievable how, I won't say righteous, but how it was, well, we can't allow any of that, even Vegas having any professional team. Oh, no, no, that's way too close to gambling. And then all of a sudden it's like they just collapsed at the gate and just got overrun and started cashing checks, and it's it's <laughs> everywhere. I want to go back to the sphere, though. When I see, I've not been out there in a while, when you see the pictures of it or the visual just of where it sits, it, it it's just like omnipresent. It's, it's massive. Yeah, it's, it's one of the most breathtaking structures I've ever seen, right up there with the Gateway Arch in St. Louis, Missouri. But um, it's, it, it's incredible when they put these videos or these um, advertisements. It's basically a massive spherical billboard on the outside. And so when you're flying in and out of Las Vegas, I mean, you look down and it is as a big and bright a structure as you can possibly imagine, just breathtaking visuals. I haven't been inside of it yet. I've only seen the videos, and I've heard it's even better when you're actually inside experiencing it, um, no matter who's performing there. But it is um, definitely 21st century technology and, and kind of the future of what we can expect when it comes to live venues. Let's talk about this Super Bowl matchup. This is one of the more intriguing prop bet matchups because you have all of the Taylor Swift stuff going on. <laughs> how, how, how prominent is that? At, I mean, these are sports books that worry about right. touchdowns and field goals and point spreads, but are they all in on Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey nonsense? Absolutely. You're going to see sports books, whether it's ESPN bet, um, the you know, DraftKings FanDuel, they're going to have the derivative markets, the prop markets that are somehow related to Taylor Swift. And it's just a great marketing gig to try and get people involved and, um, you know, gambling for the first time. Like I'm on ESPN bet right now and we have the Swelsey record setter. Swift Kelsey record setter Travis Kelsey to record over 215 and a half receiving yards, which would break the Super Bowl record. Now that's a long shot. It's 250 to one for him to do that, but that's a way to lean into Kelsey and Taylor Swift 
being the you know hottest pop culture couple in the world and the role that they can play um, in the Super Bowl and marketing to the uh, people watching and betting on the Super Bowl. It's hard for me to bet against Mahomes and the Chiefs. I think you even said that on TV last week, the Ravens certainly were the top seed, but I had no doubt that Kansas City would win that game. A little bit of Baltimore's postseason pedigree, but what do you think going into this matchup? I, I feel like the 49ers as a franchise don't get enough critique. We always talk about the Cowboys. Haven't won a Super Bowl in 30 years. The Niners' yeah. drought is longer, and and that's yeah. just astonishing to me. It's. I'll be honest, Martin. Niners to win the Super Bowl before the season started. So for my confirmation bias, I <laughs> want to see the Niners win so I can you know go on Twitter and tell everyone how smart I am. However, how can Patrick Mahomes? He's the guy who already has two of these trophies on his mantle at home. He is the one who went on the road to Buffalo, went on the road to Baltimore as an underdog, won those games outright, and now here he is in the Super Bowl as an underdog again. The Niners are two-point favorites. It's the Chiefs who are the underdog, and I, I just I don't make lines. I don't pretend to understand the algorithms and mathematics that go into it, but I just don't know how it's responsible bookmaking to give Patrick Mahomes points. All he has ever done in his career, literally, is cover every single road playoff game or neutral site playoff game as an underdog. Last year's Super Bowl was an example. He was actually a one-and-a-half-point underdog of Jalen Hurts and the Eagles. Here he is yet again as an underdog to the Niners. So uh, I'm not going to be shocked if the Niners win this game, but I'm picking the Chiefs to win this game. So how much of your homework as a sports guy is – points per game and passing yards and rushing yards and sacks and things like that. And how much of it is trends within betting? Like, Oh, they never cover or they always cover how much of your research, how, how much, how do you split that? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. And there's always kind of the give and take the balance. You're always looking at your process to see where you're getting things right, getting things wrong, how it can be better. I come from the old school numbers background of looking on the back of a baseball card you know, to see who's better, looking at, you know, side-by-side statistical comparisons of who averages more yards per play, who, you know, turns the ball over more, things like that. But I've now started to learn, you know, with experience and being in this industry and this gig over the last three years, I've started to learn how to integrate more things of how the market is indicating what is going to happen, how the market is giving you information, line moves on the spread, line moves on the total, and um, money versus ticket split and how that differs because these sports books, they're not moving markets because you and I, Joe Schmo, are gambling on these games. They're moving it in response to people who beat them, people who win, sharp, smart bettors make a bet. Their flag goes up and they say, if they're on the Chiefs side, well, we got to move the number now and make the Chiefs a smaller underdog because this is a respected better, a sharp better who knows what he or she is doing, who is a proven winner, and they're making a stand on the Chiefs. Well, that's a red, red flag to us that we need to adjust that number on the Chiefs. So I've learned how to follow those a little bit better with experience and couple it with just the good old-fashioned, 
Who averages more yards per play? Who scores more points? Who turns the ball over? It's it's a it's a it's an art. It's a, a fine science and art that I don't think anyone has ever perfected because again, sports gambling, as we know, is very very hard. Tyler Fulgham, our guest, ESPN anchor, host of Bet Live Afternoons, talking gambling in the world of sports. Which, quite honestly, everybody that follows sports has some <laughs> inch, even if it's passive. And it's the office pool. Hey, we're doing the golf pool this week. You want in? Hey, it's the March Madness bracket. Everybody has some connection to it. Other than Travis and uh, Taylor and all that Swelsey stuff, are there any other random prop bets that are out there that are Vegas-specific or is it as simple as who wins the coin toss and which defensive player has the first pick? Have you seen any other strange prop bets? Well, the Super Bowl is always the biggest menu for um, prop bets, and there's strange ones that I, I, I'm just not aware of because I haven't looked, but they're out there if you want to spend the time uh, download that ESPN bet app. Um, I think for St. Louis, things they got to be on the Illinois side of the river, uh, unfortunately, um, to uh, use ESPN bet. But, uh, you know, there's the color of the Gatorade that will be dumped on the winning coach. <laughs> um, there is the over-under um, on minutes and seconds sing the national anthem. That's something you can bet on, of course, heads, tails, um, the coin toss, um, which is always funny because that is literally a 50-50 proposition, and you bet um, into the juice of the um, uh, sports book there because they're not going to give you even money on both sides. Uh, that would be a losing proposition for them. Um, those are the type of ones that just come to the top of mind, and we might dabble and uh, have, a fun, have fun on next Friday's show on ESPN Bet Live and talk about a few of those. Um, but right now I'm mostly invested in the good old-fashioned Will Patrick Mahomes throw for more than 258 yards? Will Debo Samuel have more than uh, 60 passing yards? Will Christian McCaffrey have more than 89 uh, rushing yards? Those are the ones that I'm trying to uh, uh, develop a portfolio um, for over the next few days here and get ready to uh, watch the Super Bowl. I've had a few come out on ESPN Bet, um, and so if you want to see the rest of those, please tune in 6 Eastern each and every uh, weeknight here on ESPN2 for ESPN Bet Live. How about the over-under on Tyler's buddies that said, I'm coming out next week. Can I stay with oh, you? <laughs> I would think that all year long, but especially I'm get, you're getting hit up, I'm guessing, next week. <laughs> Set the over-under at probably 25, and wow. I would hammer the over. There, I mean, you know, <laughs> of course, that's, when you live in Vegas or if you've lived in Vegas, you'll learn that there's always someone visiting, whether it's a work conference, whether it's a bachelor, bachelorette party, whether it's just to get away from fun. There is always something, someone coming to your town, and they, of course, want a hookup to a restaurant or a club or tickets to this or that. So um, that's always been fun to deal with, but it's a great place to live. It's obviously booming in terms of um, becoming an entertainment capital not just and sports capital, not just the United States, but of the entire world. So um, if you haven't been out to Vegas in a while, I would recommend uh, going. It is a sight to see, the sphere, the uh, sporting events, the shows, the food. It's, it's just as good as it gets. And last we talked, I brought up the Oakland A's coming to Vegas, and I think you were a little skeptical about whether it'll work or not. Where are we now? They've they proposed the stadium, and it would be where? The Tropicana, yeah. right downtown? Yeah, which for, again, this is the double-edged sword of becoming this big sports um, epicenter. Um, there, there is a lot of space in uh, Las Vegas. It's a desert after all, but they're kind of cramming everything <laughs> Together on the strip down there, Allegiant Stadium is right across the highway off the strip. T-Mobile is right there. And then they're going to put a baseball park. The airport is right there. Traffic, and I've learned this as I'm getting older, something I didn't worry about in my teens, in my 20s, early 30s. But now I'm into my mid-30s, pushing 40, and 
I get worried about traffic now, Martin. Oh, you're like getting old. Oh, this me. makes this yeah. makes me. I feel so much better. Thank you for saying now, this. Now I started traffic. I don't want to deal with the traffic. Damn it! And that's one of the first things that popped into my head of what's going to happen with this ballpark if it lands there. Is there a <laughs> is there a fervor for baseball though, or do you, or do you think it'll be a little bit like the Raiders, yeah. where out of town people will come and watch their team? But it's not the same dynamic where it's a weekend and a Sunday game. Yeah. And I, I do wonder day in day out if they'll draw. I think that's a good question. The only um, points of reference I think we have are that the Raiders were an already established franchise that moved to Las Vegas. The A's will be an already established franchise that moved to Las Vegas. The Golden Knights were born and bred in Las Vegas, and Las Vegans truly love the Knights through thick and thin. They pack T-Mobile Arena for these hockey games in the desert because that is their sports franchise my fear with this baseball team because it's not an expansion team it is a relocating team it will be more akin to the Raiders where you're not going to have necessarily a great home base of fans home field advantage most of the times if the park is filled out it's going to be fans from other teams traveling to Vegas for a three-game weekend set that you know go to a game or two and then gamble see shows while they're hanging out in Sin City. And I did see a tweet you had the other day. This is sports-related, but it was a billionaire is going to start a league that's allowing <laughs> steroids. And, and yeah. you know, you think about, like, the gladiators. Nobody cared what they ate or drank. Get out there and have at it. And, and there's probably a market for it. Uh, I know you just retweeted it. Do you know much about it? <laughs> I believe Peter Thiel is the billionaire who is uh, one of the backers. It's called the Enhanced Games, and I think it's supposed to be a – alternative or competitor to the Olympics. Um, and I don't know if you remember the old Saturday Night Live skit with um, Kevin Nealon and Phil Hartman where uh, they were Hans and Franz and they oh, were yeah. doing, stuff, uh, doing the like steroid Olympics. Art <laughs> imitating life, here we are 40 years later, and it's becoming a reality. Uh, but I never – Martin, you, you just said like gladiators back in the – you know hundreds, thousands of years ago, the gladiators, no one cared what they would do. They just want to see the biggest, baddest dudes fight each other to death in the middle of a ring or fight, you know, the biggest, baddest beast in the middle of a ring to death. And we are, there is something perverse about humanity where we want to see the biggest, fastest, strongest fight to the brink. And if you see a dude who can run a nine flat 100 meter because they're doing steroids, I think people are going to watch. If you, you know, Imagine a home run derby with metal bats and Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa back in the 90s. How entertaining that would have been to see how far they can hit the baseball. So I've always contended if you're going to make it legal and make it, um, you know, even playing field for everyone, they have the opportunity to do as many or as little steroids as they want. I think it's kind of going to be an entertaining (laughs) product, but the jury is out. I'm sure it's still very much in a uh, developmental phase right now. So what is Tyler Fulgham, pride of Lafayette High? He's a Mizzou grad. Uh, what does he do on his days off in Vegas? Do you go down to the dam? What do, you can't can't gamble all the time. Do you go hiking, biking? What does somebody do that lives in Vegas because you're passing by casinos every left turn? Yeah, I'm not much of a uh, gambler for table games. And even um, sports betting, most of my gambling comes via um, Daily Fantasy. That's really what I waste my money on. But um, when I'm not at work, I'm golfing. I mean, if you're going to live in a desert um, where I have 12 months, 365 days a year of access to a golf course where I don't have to deal with, you know, sub-freezing temperatures, um, where the sun is always out, 
where we're at elevation. So I get an ego boost because my drive goes 15, 20 yards further <laughs> up the tee box. Um, I play golf, Martin. That's, uh, that's, uh, that's pretty much it. So I got the handicap a couple of years ago down to a 3.7. Um, I, I'm back up above a five right now. So I got some work to do um, to, to, to get back to my uh, heyday. But yeah, it's, it's all golf out here in the desert. It's a beautiful life to live in a warm weather environment where you can golf 12 months, 365 days a year. Our guy saw us growing up right before our eyes, complaining about traffic. <laughs> Next thing you know, he'll say, oh, my hips hurt, my knees hurt. That's from all the golfing. That's that's still years down the road. Tyler Foldrum, <laughs> you can follow him on Twitter, talking gambling, which is so prominent these days, and you can see him on your television on ESPN, the host of Bet Live. He's St. Louis's own. Tyler, thanks so much for hopping on. Always a pre- pleasure, Martin. Closing it out on this week on the Kill Coin Conversation, Brendan Weesey, sports director at KTRS, is alongside. I sent him the link last night to listen to Larry David on the Bill Simmons podcast. And I think what's happened to me since I've been listening to Larry, I'm turning into him. I have some of those traits already. But as I'm listening yesterday, I ran into a subway with my wife, the restaurant that is. (laughs) And I'm standing there at the counter and it said, alert your your sandwich artist. Okay, so now I'm stopping there. I'm like, sandwich artist. Okay, artist, that's fine. And it said, let them know ahead of time if you have a coupon. And I thought, well, why would that matter? Not at, not at the register. Are they going to give me a little less meat and cheese on that? Why do I need to alert the artist ahead of time? What's the deal? And I, I can't help it. It's the Seinfeld curb in me. And I think now I'm in this terrible Larry David mode that you're going to have to pull me out of. I thought you were going to say that you'd go up to said sandwich artist and say, Oh, you're really an artist? <laughs> that, that, that's a bit of a reach. <laughs> that would be something Larry would do right. that would, would, of course, in turn get him kicked out of said subway. Right. No, you're right. To make it truly Larry David, it has to be awkward. <laughs> There has to be a confrontation, and ultimately him being booted out. You're right. Really? Like Picasso with the pickles? Come on. Are you sure? But I, I just kept thinking, what is the necessity there for the coupon to be presented before the artist makes your sandwich? Other than to say, oh, this guy, he's got a coupon. Do you ever watch Curb and have like a range of emotions? Like the show is hysterical, and I and, and I will laugh continuously through certain episodes. Other times, I get angry because I start to you know the people that Larry has interactions with can be such jerks, and I'm like, oh my god, if I ran into somebody like that, I would be so angry. But it does feel like in later seasons, and now we're coming up on the final season here, debuting possibly this weekend. Um, it is kind of unclear. It's coming up here soon. It's in the month of February. I do feel like in the in the last couple of seasons, Larry has gone so far off the edge that his behavior is incredibly egregious, and I really can't side with him either. So, of course, this is make-believe <laughs> land. This isn't real, but I'll find myself just getting angry. How could you behave? How could you stand to behave like this or deal with that kind of behavior? I think I've told you this before, but I interviewed his wife. His real-life married wife, not from the show. Not not Cheryl. Not Cheryl, but his real-life wife at a Rams pregame with RFK Jr. I wish I could find this footage. It was a Rams pregame show. This is like 2007, Team's Terrible, owned by Chip and Lucia. Maybe it's 2008. I'm trying to remember when Georgia died. Now, now you know Cheryl is is RFK's actual wife. 
The actress? Yes. Cheryl, Cheryl Hines is married. Well, maybe that's how they're all friends. <laughs> this, is, this is very strange. Well, this is, okay, it's from Chip Rosenblum, who owned, this must have been 2008, because he and his sister Lucia owned the team at that okay. moment. And somebody said, would you mind putting on Larry David's wife, I forget her, her name, and RFK Jr. I said, well, I've heard of RFK. Oh, this is Jr. Okay. I didn't know much about him. And they were big on the environment. And Chip Rosenblum was doing some documentary about the environment. So Chip, which is Georgia Frontier's son, is a filmmaker in L.A. So they're like, "Can you? okay, great. Team's 2 and 10. Who cares? <laughs> Got a bunch of emails. Why are you shoving this environmental agenda down our throat? Oh, man. I'm like, I said, have you watched the Rams? Do you really want me to do another piece on their run defense? But she's sitting on the set. And I remember saying, okay, we got to – didn't want it to be the focus of her visit. That's, you know, not what they wanted. But I yeah. said, so you're married to Larry David. I said, I got to ask, you know, he seemed pretty, pretty weird. And she's like, you have no idea. She said, he's exactly the same in real life as you see on that show. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry. And she said, you have no And I think they got divorced shortly oh, after that. So, I mean, Curb, Larry on Curb is basically Larry turned up to Eleven. Yes, but not much, according to her. Like he's a lot like that. And then RFK. Later, we did a, an interview off to the side, and I said, "Oh, Massachusetts, you know the whole Kennedy family." I said, "You must be a big Patriots fan. They're so good these days." And he said, "No, they named the the stadium after my father in Washington, RFK, where the Redskins yeah, played." And yeah. I said, "He goes, so I'm kind of partial to them." And I said. Oh, yeah, that too. <laughs> like We'll edit that out So later. his voice was weird back yes, then as well? What I is wrong it. with his voice? I can't, and I can't do it justice, but I remember him kind of thinking, who's this dope that thinks I'm a Patriots fan? Because I think of the Kennedys being <laughs> Massachusetts royalty, and he's like, I'm kind of a D.C. guy at this point. So nonetheless, I've been stuck, Larry David stuck in my head, which is more fun than talking Mizzou basketball oh, or anything gosh. else. Uh, 0-8. What's that final tally going to look like in the SEC? Like two wins, three Last wins? night was supposed to be that. Maybe Saturday. They play better on the road. Maybe you win at Vanderbilt Saturday. I mean, the funny thing is there's nothing so terribly tough that they're not going to just stumble into a few wins. They should. But last night that was against the one you an thought Arkansas would happen, team yeah. at home, uh, I'm going to talk to Ben Fred about this here coming up in the next hour, but – I heard the stat points in the paint last night for Arkansas. That does not do justice. Give me uncontested shots at the rim for Arkansas because they just come down the floor and just saunter right to the hoop and and dunk it. Uh, the, the number of easy baskets they had that Mizzou let up, and that's I'll continue to say Mizzou plays hard, but they don't always play smart. They don't always play like a team that has confidence. And how much did we praise Dennis Gates last year for a team that played with confidence and played smart? They had both those traits. So we praised Coach Gates when they showed those traits last year. He deserves some criticism, I think, for the way this team just does not defend. And he took a ton of blame last night and said that uh, they came out flat. i got to tell you, they come out flat every game. The, the, the script almost... To a T, every game, knock down three or four shots, then give up 15, you're down 10, and maybe you're down 12 or 14. Then you come roaring back, you're down like two or four by halftime, and then you make it interesting, maybe take the lead in the second half before the other team pulls away with like five or six minutes to go. Last night didn't quite live up to that. 
Um, they lost by seven, but they were down by 15 or 20 for most of that second half. Final score was not indicative of of how that game went. It was not it was not impressive at all. I don't understand the obsession with the three, which is college basketball. It's the game right now. I understand that's that's the thing, and they do the percentages. Well, so what? If you hit 30 percent of those, it's better than hitting 50 percent of twos. But I just think Mizzou needs to be a better three point shooting team if that's what you're going to live by or die by. Like. It goes back to the bragging rights game. What was it, like 0 for 12 at half or whatever, 0 for 6, whatever, terrible math. And I said, okay, if you can't make a three-point shot, maybe stop shooting it. Maybe try and attack the rim. Maybe go down low. That That's the part I don't get. It's amazing how you can have this highly recruited class. It'll be interesting to see what the off-season buzz is. Can people just immediately wipe the slate clean? Oh, this season that just was so horrific – Oh yeah, that didn't really happen. We're going to be so good next year. It's it's so bizarre. It's like, oh yeah, this is a Kim Anderson season, but don't worry. Next year is going to be a right. Norm Stewart season. Just don't worry about it. Flip the script. Well, and it used to be still this early in your tenure, you could blame your predecessor. Right. You can't blame Conzo. There there's not a single Conzo player on this roster. This is all Dennis Gates and that's why in today's college basketball and and you can maybe still say, well, Conzo left him nothing. Conzo left him Kobe Brown. Correct. And Kobe Brown took him to the tournament last year. So Conzo deserves at least some of the credit for what happened last year. And he deserves some of the blame that there was nothing else left. But, man, that's college basketball. New coaches come in. You completely remake it. You use the portal. This is not gone according to plan. You've got a class coming in next year. But I'll tell you what. Um, for a guy that, I mean, the the amount of praise that was heaped at Dennis Gates' doorstep last year was immense, and uh, now it's he's he's uh, finding what it's like to live in a world where there's uh, a little more a little more scrutiny because he got to he got to uh, he got the role last year, and it was uh, it, it's it's different now. City SC training continues. I know you were down at at the pitch. You were there hanging out, and uh, what's the most interesting thing right now? about this team other than maybe they've got the the target on their back so to speak right and it's year two and all of that but how about within the team replacing the scoring from Giochini are there any names that are not household names yet I'm not trying to go inside football with you here but give me some early thoughts of what people should be looking for yeah I think uh, I think you said it how do you immediately replace your top goal scorer from a season ago. Now, I think we all know he wasn't their best player. It was either Klaus when healthy or Edward Leuven. But there's a 10 goals out the door. How do you immediately replace that? And I think um, one would be healthy all season long, Jao Klaus. Does, because he was so good early last year, remember? And then he got hurt and he came back. He was fine. Still scored a bunch of goals. But I don't know. wasn't. Uh, maybe maybe just didn't have. I mean, it was probably more so Leuven who came back and wasn't the same guy. But if you get those two, if you get Leuven and Klaus playing, uh, you know, from beginning to end, I think that's gonna. I think that's gonna do a lot for City. And there's a lot of these younger guys that are gonna need to find uh, their seed legs as well. I think Sam Adeneron. If you're looking for somebody directly to be this year's Nico Joachini, I think it's probably Sam Adeneron. All right, coming up next hour, you mentioned it, you and Ben, Fred, and it's sort of a lull right now, right? We're not quite to spring training. Yeah. Hockey's in this break right now. Soccer hasn't started up. 
basketball season is over. <laughs> I guess we got to we got to dig in on this Super Bowl by next week, and it is a marquee matchup. So I'm looking forward to that. How about uh, programming notes for the audience? And by the way, next Mizzou game will be Saturday, Saturday against Vanderbilt. at Vanderbilt, yep. which is a I, dare I say a potential win, another winnable game. Yeah, we'll we'll do some winners and losers next hour. We'll talk some golf with Skip Brickmeyer as uh, the golf. There's never a, there is never a slow day on the golf beat these days. It's not always fun stories to get excited about, but every day there's something new. They played at Pebble today. Live starts their season tomorrow, so plenty to dig into with Skip coming up at eight. All right, stay tuned for the big sports show right here on KTRS.